Good afternoon. As we were chanting, I was thinking that it's a whole new level of humility giving a talk staring at Dr. King's photo. So thank you for coming and practicing and for supporting me and everyone else here. So the, I was reading the title um, that we gave to this retreat, which I think is something like practicing the bodhisattva way or practicing bodhisattva effort until death or something like that. And I thought, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> yeah, I'll try. Um, so the bodhisattva path that we talk about that we try to embody this um, path of living for the freedom, the liberation of everyone. Not just everyone in terms of humans, but everyone in terms of all beings. And what does that mean in our everyday life? And in thinking about that intellectually, it seems daunting. Doing it is ever more daunting. And how does it not, um, how when we live in the world, in a historical world that often has, and it has a great deal of joy and wonder, but it also has a great deal of violence and difficulty and oppression. And when we look at these, how do we um, live with the buoyancy it requires to actually um, address what we're committing to address. So it made me think about what it is. It, it, I was thinking about what it is to um, this word to be just. Right? So in Zen, we often talk about being just this moment. And, I, and, and what strikes me is that the, and I've talked a little bit about this before, but I'm going to center on this today, which is the, the dual meaning of this word is exactly the meaning of the Dharma. That to be just this moment is asking us the way we often interpret that as being present. To letting, letting ourselves be with what is without... Um, slamming it with our conditioning without confusing it with how we've been conditioned and um, letting our separate self define what's happening before we can even experience what's happening. Right? So to bring presence, not even to bring presence, to be presence. This is already, we're foundationally present. We just simply get distracted by the way, by, to use the word, you know, we get distracted by our karma. We get distracted by the way we've been conditioned. We get distracted by who we think we are in any given moment. So we cling on to that and we try to protect those ideas and we can't be present. 
But the way that we cultivate this presence is sitting meditation, mindfulness practice. We talk about what it is to be with, with everything that we're doing when we're washing the dishes and so on. But the Buddha actually put meditation kind of a little late in the game. In the Eightfold Path, it's almost at the end. Even in our paramitas, it's fifth. It's fifth paramita, not the first. First paramita is generosity. Second is our moral discipline. Third is patience. Fourth is effort, energy, and then comes meditation. In terms of the Eightfold Path, mundane right view and looking at um, karma comes long before we start talking about the concentrated mind. So we're, if you take the Bharamitas and you take the Eightfold Path together, then the thing that we're doing in the very beginning of our practice is practicing a generous, open heart and mind with karma, looking at our karma. But it is looking at our karma, it's not ignoring our karma, and that's all karma. That's everything that arises, not the kind of karma we feel like looking at, which is what we start with, but then it gets a little harder. But this idea of being just this moment has this aspect of being present, but it has this aspect of being just. So what, and by just, I am thinking of the word justice. Right? What is it to be just with everything? So when we look at the word dharma, this root dir, I think I've said this before, this root dir is a cognate of the Greek word dike, which actually is the word justice as it's used in the Bible in the Abrahamic tradition, right? It literally is that word justice. The dharma, even today, is used often to refer to justice in courts of law and various other things in, in India. So this word justice, this word dharma, has more, has a meaning to it that has, now how does it refer to what we're talking about and then in those situations? And that's because in both these cases, the old understanding of this is that we're unjust when we're out of alignment with the cosmos when we tear the relationship of things with our selfish actions. For the Buddha, the way the Buddha used this dharma, he grew up in Vedic culture where this notion of dharma as being the way, the, as being in line with the cosmos, he inherited that. But for him, the dharma is dependent co-arising. The dharma is the interconnectedness of all things. So when we tear that, that's why we need the precepts, because our selfish dispositions, we want to tear that. We want to grab a piece of it for ourselves. We want to believe our ideas about other people. We want to, when we're threatened, have power over. We do these kinds of things that rip the fabric of our relationships. And so to be just, to take up the precepts, to take up the Eightfold Path, is to actually repair those tears. Because we don't, we humans seem to, um, 
because we have a ripped notion of what the self is, I'm over here and you're over there, I'm separate from you, because we start with that torn sense of who we are, we act from that tear and we keep tearing. Sometimes even when we think we're doing good, we're tearing. Because we're so confused by this initial separation. And so to practice not killing and not stealing and not um, praising self at the expense of others and all of the precepts that we take, this is the second paramita, the moral discipline piece. This is to really turn a, an eye toward how are we deepening separation? How are we causing harm instead of harmony? How are we cultivating harm instead of harmony? So this way of looking at being just, that actually, it, 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 if we're going to deepen this into our interpersonal behavior with all things, we're living for the benefit of all beings, this is the beings that, this cup, I have a choice. How, do, how am I just with this cup? In the way that I put it down, how am I just with the things that I, we, we take care of things in a different way. We lift our cushion with two hands and we put it down with two hands. We don't kick it across the room. Because kicking a cushion across the room is training an unjust heart an unjust mind. Moving it with care, caring for it, is training us in being just with each other. And again, in both senses, I think this is the thing that if we can get a visceral sense of what it is to be just in just this in the sense of full presence and being just in terms of upright relationship and care and not dominating and not coming from separation and violence. So we can do this in our immediate sense, but it's not enough. It's not enough. If we focus only on our immediate sense of what it is to be just, then we miss the way we're deeply interconnected with the entire world. And so to some degree, we, not even to some degree, we have to understand how our actions affect the world. What is it to buy a certain cup? Or to throw out a lot of things, or to have too much? What's, who's the, what's everyone doing to their apartment right now? Marie? Tidy up. Yeah, Marie Kondo. <laughs> this is a really, this is, I think, I, I think Marie Kondo is teaching justice. You know, I think, this is, I think Marie Kondo is teaching just relationship. Because if we take that seriously, then we stop buying a bunch of garbage, too, that we don't need. And, um, but then we have to start looking at the ways that we're unjust systemically. And this is something, I want to talk a little bit about the history, a little bit about engaged Buddhism. Because Dr. King and Thich Nhat Hanh, who coined the term engaged Buddhism, had a deep connection with each other. They were in dialogue for a number of years. And 
Thich Nhat Hanh coined this term, engaged Buddhism, and I just recently actually found out, or some people um, suggested that he maybe took the term engaged, so you probably, Vietnam was a French colony, and so he was fluent in French, and he was reading French thinkers, and there's this, there's this um, notion that came out of the existentialists in the first half of the century around, I'm even afraid to say it, I don't know why I'm afraid of French. I am afraid of French. <laughs> it's like other languages, whatever, but French for some reason, it's, it's in my culture to be afraid of French. Um, but um, however you say engaged, Terence, in, or engagement in French. Thank you, that's very nice. <laughs> Jean-Paul Sartre specifically would speak about this word. And the reason I'm bringing it up is because it has a very specific meaning. It means that we have to pay attention to the political and social consequences of every one of our actions. He used it in a very specific way. That we have to pay attention to the social and political consequences of all of our actions. In his case, he talked a lot about literature and writing, and what writing was in that sense, but really everything. So you can see why, if Thich Nhat Hanh was in this way, in, in this, um, he was hearing this, why this might be interesting. He's going in, he's, they're colonized by the French, where they're going into serious war in the 50s, and then it explodes into the American War. And um, a request comes up. And some people consider this the fourth turning of the wheel of Buddhism. That um, as Buddhists, we have to consider the social and political consequences of all of our actions. Actually, I think if we deepen it all the way, we have to consider the social, because the Buddha didn't stop at actions. He went all the way to the karmic effects of thought. We have to consider the social and political consequences of all of our thoughts. We have to consider the social and political consequences of everything we've internalized and believe to be true. This is a high bar. But um, as practitioners of the Buddha Dharma, that's where the bar is. If you read much Dogen, the bar is high. You know, what's been set out for us is that we don't, you know, the, the, the image we often use in Zen is a snake in a bamboo tube, so there's not much room to move. Our moral request of, ourself, of ourselves is to attend to our mind in this way. So we have inherited Did he say racism, militarism, and materialism, and patriarchy, and a belief that the domination of the earth is reasonable? We've inherited these things, and they are in our minds. And some, you know, the response is often not mine, you know, but. There's no not mine. It's in all, we've all been conditioned, every one of us. 
It's like saying the plastics and the metals in the water supply are not getting to this body, just everybody else's body. And so what is it to take responsibility for that really every moment of the day? And that isn't, uh, and, and I think at that point when that suddenly feels daunting or terrible, I think the thing that we have to remember is that we're asking ourselves to be just with all things, including ourselves, including our mourning. So, you know, our, if one is engaged, if, if I am engaged in that work, if you are engaged in that work, which I hope everybody's engaged in that work, and that doesn't mean that everybody's on the front, in some very clear front line way, but that we are all, all of us, an entire society, person by person, and hopefully a whole bunch of people by a whole bunch of people, are taking responsibility for the violence and harm we've caused. That we are clearly doing that. That we are looking at the thoughts that reproduce the systems that create that suffering. And that is a part of what we are as beings. That is a part of what it is to move through a day. And to be just with ourselves. So if we wake up in the morning, I'm trying to learn this. If I wake up in the morning and what are the things that are just toward me at that moment to cultivate the being that can be in the world and do this work? Maybe my morning needs to be more gentle. Maybe sitting meditation and I think of looking at Inzan, I just thought of the monastery. What woke, what woke me up at the monastery were footsteps. And then you go sit. It was very gentle. It wasn't an alarm clock and email. So, and there's a movement now around self-care, which is very wise, because I think there's a real realization that to be engaged in this way is... Um, Difficult. And some people are bearing the brunt of the violence. People of color and women are bearing the brunt of the violence today still in ways that others of us are not. And so care is even more important. But for all of us that are engaged in... Um, a life that is more just. I think there has to be um, a 360 sense of what it is to be just. If we only take, if we're only just with our immediate surroundings, with each other in this in interpersonal way, but we're not paying attention to systemic injustice, then we lose track of how we're really interconnected in the world. We're not really taking responsibility of the whole of our being. If we only focus on the systemic and we don't care and we're not just with what's around us, we become depleted, exhausted, cynical, we break. Or we just live in rage. So these two sides maybe of not seeing them as two sides but seeing them as one deeply interconnected path of being 
just with everything that arises, being fully present with it, and taking responsibility for the karma of that moment, both my karma, and these are not in any way separate, both my karma and the social karma of our world. And I am the social karma of this world. It is interesting that um, I think that's something to check with ourselves is when we're comfortable looking at our conditioning and our karma until we get to power and then it gets uncomfortable. We kind of pretend that's not there. But can we let power be there too? Greed, hatred, we often say delusion, but I actually am starting to like the word stupidity. <laughs> and, and there's a reason. Greed is very active. Hatred is very active. Delusion feels like something that kind of just happens. But we choose it. We don't, we choose it too. You know, we don't always, we're not, we don't always choose greed. Sometimes we're just conditioned greedy, but there is sometimes we choose it. And hatred, we're conditioned, but sometimes we choose it out of that conditioning. And stupidity, sometimes we choose it. And I think in this time, that's really important. To be really clear when I'm choosing to be stupid. When I'm choosing to tune out. When I'm choosing to not um, take in the way I am really connected. to the harm of the world. Because I do think that the Buddha asked us to cultivate ourselves so that we can transform karma. So that our bodies can actually be beings that can feel, metabolize the harm of the world in a way that we can be more harmonious. But that means cultivating this being in a way that can do that. I was going to say, this really is going on. This is, what time is it really? Okay. So this, this, this notion of effort and energy. To attend to when the effort and energy is low and allow ourselves to receive from Mother Earth and from ancestors and each other. And to attend to when the energy and effort is present and take seriously our responsibility to support and give. And for different people, it's going to be different because what I said before, some people are receiving the brunt. They're receiving the violence of the system of the our histories in ways that others are not. 
And those of us who have the privilege and the excess, I think we need to look at that energy and effort and say, where can I put that? So that other people are not receiving the brunt. So that other people are not receiving the violence, so that other people are able to have a little more energy and a little more space. And this isn't because we are um, um, nobody is better. Some people are just privileged in many different ways. And so the duty of privilege. We talk a lot about rights, and rights are important, but I think we should be clear. We need rights because of the breakdown of duty, because of the breakdown of responsibility, because we're not living out our responsibility to each other in a compassionate and loving way. So we need rights to protect people. But, but, the, but what would it... We can start defaulting to our rights all the time in an individualist society. And so for me, I have to ask myself, and I watch my mind do that, what is my responsibility? With the energy and the effort and the privilege that I have. And then, and then I just want to talk about why this is so important with Sangha. Because people come to practice discussion and other things, and, and the discussion is often, um, this is really hard out there. Right? And it is, because the current is completely in a different direction in many places, not everywhere. There are lots of actually hidden, beautiful currents going in the same direction as what we would like to see. But the big thrust is an economic system that is um, not particularly concerned with humanity. It doesn't seem to be particularly concerned. And, and, and many of these, um, other forms of control, white supremacy, Christian supremacy in the way it was used, and colonialism, I mean, these were economic decisions as much as anything else. The violence that is justified to take from each other. So what is it to look at that in a mic? When do I justify violence to take some, from somebody else in a very kind of comparatively tiny way? but still is the impulse there, and what do I do with that impulse? But in this bigger way of um, this current of our economic system that is just steaming, for, it's just moving forward. We were talking recently about how there's a discussion here about looking at property upstate for a monastery, and we would love this process to be much slower, but we're wrapped in a culture of decision-making that is not going to make so much room for that because there's a contract and there's time and there's days and 30 days and this and all that's happening and at a particular speed. 
And so even when we choose to slow down, we may feel this force at our backs. And I'm not clear. I'm bringing this up as an exploration. I'm not clear on how to deal with this. But what I am clear on is that I think it can only happen with a community. That I feel clear about. We cannot do this alone. We cannot possibly. You know, the Buddha did something very interesting. So w the other communities around the, the Buddha at the time he lived were organizing themselves in terms of um, often there was a guru teacher and then there were people um, who, who lived around that teacher. But um, sometimes they were organized by caste. But the Buddha organized it around a kinship model. He did two things. He came from, a, he came from um, the caste in Pali called Katya caste, which was the political caste that had to do with, um, they were the republics that kind of were in the mountainside around the imperial kingdoms. And they had a kinship-based consensus representation model of politics. This came into the Sangha. This is how he organized the Sangha. So the way the Buddha organized the Sangha was around kinship ties. He, so we use the language still of the children of the Buddha. They're this, people are, and, and people are called Dharma siblings and all these kinds of, this goes all the way back to the first Sangha. And um, the Buddha may have realized something really, really important, which is when you go against the stream, and he was going against the stream of, of the, the empires that were expanding around him. When you go against the stream, some people are breaking from their families. Some people are breaking from a lot. There has to be a family. There has to be a community that can receive them. And there have to be bonds in that community that are strong enough. And for him, it was the Vinaya. He, there are lots of rules that you follow. But um, there has to be something strong enough that you can live that. And I think the Sangha is, is this. It's one. There are many. But um, for some of us who may not have other places of strength that feel like we can live up to our deepest intention to be just in the world. For me, Sangha gives that support. And the way that being just shows up is different for every person. Some people are doing sewing practice or cooking food or any number of things but they're teaching us how to be just with cloth, and they're teaching us how to be just with food, and they're teaching us. Dogen went on at length about how to be just with food. And this was extremely important to him. For those of you who don't know Dogen, he's a 13th century um, Zen teacher that's considered the founder of our school in Japan. We like him a lot. Um, <laughs> And, um, and it's birthday today. Oh, and it's his birthday today. Thank you. <laughs> um, 
to be just with food. So, and beyond the Sangha, I think what is really lovely about the tradition is that some people have very strong sense already of ancestry. Some don't. But um, that there's this encouragement to realize that everything that we have. I was thinking before the talk, the idea that I have a thought. Like, oh, I, there's an idea I have. As if I had that idea. As if that idea wasn't because of everybody who came before me. Everything that I'm able to um, rely on in some way came from ancestors. And all of these um, noble pursuits that we get to have, that we, that we have available to us, are often because people lit fires, kept monasteries open, but also in terms of our tradition, an anti-racist tradition, or a tradition that is looking at, at, at dismantling patriarchy, we have those paths because people died. And when we are fortunate enough to receive those paths from ancestors who fought for them, struggled for them, died for them, we have an opportunity at that moment to feel the courage and strength of those ancestors and gratitude for them. And I, for me, that is a, another way of feeling the energy and the effort that's required to do this for the rest of our lives. When I get confused and think it's me, I get tired really fast. I don't seem to be able to do much without Sangha and without ancestry and without the earth. Don't seem to. I can't <laughs> do anything. <laughs> so... I will just encourage us with each other, with the world, with our social and political systems, with everything that Dr. King pointed to. Um, that we ask the question, what is being just here? Both what is being just here in this moment and what is being just here. Because ultimately, they cannot be understood without each other. If we focus on justice as an abstract, we will treat each other poorly. If it's just ideological, we'll run over each other to get to what we think is just. If it's um, only interpersonal, we won't see the damage we're causing.
So if we can, I would encourage myself, I will vow to do that. I will fail at it, and then I will vow again, and I will fail at it, and then I will vow again. I would encourage all of us who are up for that practice to do the same. So I will leave it at that. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.